assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance and have having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things that make it clear they are seeing a country, seeking a country of their own, and indeed, if they had, indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have, have had opportunity to return but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. Morning. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1. And we'll be going through that here in just a second. Uh, there is uh, something we have a, a really neat problem that we're uh, we're wrestling with here as uh, as a church and as a community of God is um, we've, we've, we're about full. We've got uh, a lot of people here this morning. It's people returning from summer break and vacation and stuff. And so in the next uh, next Sunday there'll be some more chairs that we'll put in here. And uh, this is a great problem. And let's just continue to pray that God continues to give us this problem and and maybe makes it a whole lot worse on us. As, uh, as more people come and, and uh, want to hear the word of God and want to be a part of God's people. Um, there's, as the Bozeman Chronicle talked about a while back, on any given Sunday, there's 10% of this valley is in church or in worshiping somewhere. And so we've got a huge harvest field out there of people that don't know God or putting priorities in all sorts of other stuff, and we've got an opportunity to share our faith. And so this is a, this is a great opportunity, and life groups are a huge part of that. Because in, in larger communities and larger churches, it's easy to come in to be a part of worship, to sing, to pray, to get the message of God, and then be out the back door. And, and they're, it's hard to grow that way. That's why almost all across, if you go into the denominations and, and ask these questions as well, almost all missionaries and ministers grow up in very small churches. Because what happens is they have this this intergenerational uh, discussions with people. They uh, give the opportunity to serve, um, and and it's that's something that the life group enables us to be able to do. And so, if you haven't uh, signed up for life group or you haven't participated, then uh, Rob is right over here. Rob's you can catch him. I'm sure uh, if you haven't participated, there's someone will invite you. If you don't, just ask, and we'll get you in in a group. And life groups are very simply. Is groups that meet in homes in the afternoon sometime on Sunday. And we ask the question, how does this lesson this morning that you heard, how does this impact you and how do you put it into practice? And there's something about sitting around in a, in a small, a circle of small people and oftentimes sharing food that we tend to grow and we tend to discuss things that we just don't otherwise. And so those, that's a, a neat opportunity that all of us have to be able to participate in coming up this fall. Okay, I'm going to do a little bit of background on what we're going to walk through this morning uh, from last week. And I'll do this as we go along here for the next few weeks to make sure that we all get this picture because this is important to understanding Romans and how it functions. But A.D. 30, somewhere right around this time frame, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens. Uh, there's visitors from Rome that have come all the way down there to hear the message, of God, to, to be there and to worship uh, at the temple, and they hear the message of God, and they go back, and they must take this message of God with them. 
And about 20 years later, you see Claudius, who's the Roman emperor at that point in time. He expels the Jews, including the Christian Jews, because they're debating in the synagogues over this guy named Crestus. And he doesn't understand what it is. They just kick them all out because they're, 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 they're causing problems and we're not going to deal with that. And then in, about five years later, Claudius passes away and the Jews are allowed to return to Rome. And so that creates an interesting dynamic. The church has started with Jews. Uh, it becomes mixed. And then the Jews leave. And last week we talked about what would happen if half of us left Overnight, next week you come and there's, there's half of us are gone. You have to start working together and find different dynamics. Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? How's, how's all this going to fit together? And it's difficult. And so that's what they deal with. Well, five years later, the Jews are able to come back and all of a sudden there's all this conflict about, okay, now how do we get, how do we get along now again? Because the Gentiles have grown up, they've matured, and the Jews come back. And ten, what happens, if, have any of you ever left home for a while and then come back? It's hard to go home, isn't it? It's hard. Yeah, because oftentimes things change and it's hard to, to be able to, to work that, that dynamic out again. And so that's our context. We went through the few, first few verses last time where Paul just introduces himself. And I'll walk through some of these quickly here, and then we'll, we'll camp on an, an area here in a minute. Verses 8 and 10 says, Paul is writing to the churches there, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of, the, of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers and at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened to me for me to come to you. So Paul says a couple of things here. He says, first of all, I'm thankful for you. In almost all of Paul's letters, within the first half a chapter or so, he says this. Not all of them, but almost all of them. He says, I'm very thankful for you. What a tremendous example he's showing. Even the Corinthians, who are giving him all sorts of grief, that he spends all this letter trying to correct all the heartache that they're creating for him, he still says, I am thankful for you. And he says, I'm praying for you. In addition, let's look at the next verses. We'll tie some of this together here. Verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. So Paul says, not only am I thankful for you, and I am praying for you, but let's find a way, I want to come out to Rome, so let's encourage each other. That's a tremendous platform for spiritual growth, isn't it? Deciding that we're going to be thankful for each other, that we're going to pray for each other, and that we're going to encourage each other. And I can tell you, as Paul speaking as a spiritual leader to the Romans, that would have been encouraging for them. And I know that when I sit in the meetings with the elders, with Dan and Mark and Lyle, and when their wives are present when we discuss, and the deacons and, and other people that are spiritual leaders in this church, I hear the same type of thing. Thankful for these people that we get to serve and that we get to work with. We pray for them, and let's make sure that we can be encouraging for each other. And, and come together and find ways that all of us lift each one of us higher in order to honor God. What a tremendous platform, tremendous way to approach life. This is totally different than, than many people in our world approach authority. Sometimes people will approach authority and say, authority is, or leadership is, you doing whatever I tell you to do. 
That doesn't build great morale, does it? It doesn't instill a, a, a sense of thankfulness or prayerfulness or encouragement. But Paul approaches this differently. He approaches it just like Jesus approached us. I'm approaching you because I'm, I'm really thankful and I'm, I'm praying for you and I'm encouraging you. Okay, so Paul starts off with that. He continues on here in verse 14. He says, I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now, Rome is a place that is, has people from all over the world, and it's still that way today. I've talked to you about the church that I, I worked in, uh, that Sylvia grew up in. There's 70 people from all sorts of different walks of life, 10 or 12 different native languages of people coming from all over the world that are a little group there. And Paul says, I want to influence both Greeks and barbarians, the word there, both the wise and the foolish. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they come from. What I want is I want them to hear the message of God. And for the Romans here, and we talked about this during our family Bible discussion time, uh, that was hard. This would have been a hard discussion because the barbarians, and that word comes from, that's what the, the Romans and the Latin speakers called those people that lived way north that would come down and try to sack Rome once in a while. They were barbarians because they didn't understand their language because to the Romans it sounded like they were saying bar, 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 bar. So they're the barbarians. That's, what they, that's, what, that's who these people are. And so you wouldn't find a good Roman reaching out to a barbarian on any level except to make him a slave. You know, that was kind of how the, the M.O. worked. But Paul says, I'm obligated I'm, because, because of what God has done for me. I want to influence Greeks, Latin speakers, barbarians, wise, foolish, whoever people are. I want them to come to God. That's my perspective. Let's continue on the next verses here. Verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Okay, so Paul, and I'm going to put this whole couple of verses up here, and we'll walk through it. This is powerful, and there's a whole lot more that we can unpack than, than we're going to do right now. But I want to hit some highlights for us to think about this week and to provide a foundation for what Paul's going to continue to talk about in, in Romans. It says, For I am not ashamed. How many of you, if we're going to be honest, and, okay, just pretend you're not in church, okay, for a second, you know, take the church face off. How many of you have felt the tension to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ at some point in your life? Absolutely. There's times where I have thought, oh man, I don't want to say anything right now. I just do not want to do the right thing. I don't, I, nope, I don't want to do it. You get older, it gets easier. I think that's, I think that's true because we get more and more faithful and we realize that if once in a while, if someone says, huh, you're a Christian, we're not going to die. And we get up and we keep going and we, we get as, as our, Outward self is diminishing, our inward self is being renewed day by day, and we get bigger, we get stronger, more powerful as we get older. That's, that's good. That's good to know, Carrie. I can't, I can't relate to that because I'm not old yet. But right, yeah, no. That's, that's good to know. That is, the further we go along, the, the easier it gets, and that's good. But we have that, we have that tension. We have that tension to feel ashamed of the gospel at times. Sometimes it's at work, sometimes it's at school, sometimes it's family. And we get in those situations, we think, boy, I want to be God's person right now, but I just don't feel like it. I'm ashamed of this message. And ultimately, and maybe this is where, where wisdom and age comes in, is that 
maybe we're ashamed because we just really can't grasp our head and heart around what the gospel is yet. And as Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And then he talks about first for the Jews and the Gentiles. And if we can't think of any, if anyone can think of anything better than that, then I'm all ears and I want to listen to it. Because if the gospel is the, the power of God, this good news is the power of God that brings salvation or life to everyone who believes, that's the best news that is out there and we have no reason to be ashamed of it. And that was what Paul would have had to wrestle through over time. He would have wrestled through in his maturity, coming to the point at some point in time he could write through the Romans and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel because look at what it does. Look at what it is and look at what it does. It provides a life to everyone who believes, first for the Gentile, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God, or everything that is right about God, everything that is right, is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. If you notice there that verse, the righteous will live by faith, this is not the first time that verse appears in Scripture. Can you see it there? Where does it come from? If you look in the footnote. Let's go back to Habakkuk. Okay, how many of you have spent time in Habakkuk this week? <laughs> no, nobody. Yeah. Okay, right. Habakkuk's an Old Testament prophet that uh, had a lot of amazing things to say. But you read it's three chapters. But what he does is Habakkuk cries out to God and shares his own frustrations because he sees that his people are going to be taken into captivity. He doesn't like that. It's frustrating. And his big questions, if you go to, um, let's look at chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Habakkuk. 1, 12 and 13. He says, and what happens is Habakkuk complains to God. He airs his grievances and his frustration, and then God answers. And they go back and forth, and then Habakkuk just ends with a prayer. But look at chapter 1 there, verses 12 and 13. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those that are more righteous than themselves? And so his question is, God, why would you use a nation that is more evil than us, that is worse, to, to teach us a lesson? That's not fair. How can you do that? How is that just? That doesn't seem right to me. And look at what happens in chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me, and I will answer, and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Hey, so Habakkuk's not happy. He's frustrated because this does not seem fair to him that God would allow a nation that is really evil to take to, to destroy a nation that has less evil in his eyes. Skip down to chapter two, chapter, verses two through four. Then the Lord replied, "Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets." And so, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not see delay. See, my enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Or the righteous person will live by faith. And as it continues down there, you see this description that God gives. For example, verses 12 through 14 in chapter 2 there. 
Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people labor, that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire and the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge and of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Okay. So God's answer, in a nutshell, is... You are not going to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. There's no way that I can really explain this to you. But understand that my righteousness and my is going to flood the earth. And so people, and he goes through this, if you look through this section of Habakkuk, he says all of those people that do injustice, all these people that demonstrate ungodliness, it's going to come around and they're going to get it. But for you, the righteous will live by faith. And so you just continue to live by faith. That's what your job is. And so you think about that. Let's go back to Romans. As Nehemiah is told, or excuse me, that Habakkuk is told, the righteous are going to live by faith. I'm going to take care of my people. I'm going to, they're going to see it. It's going to work out. They're just, the righteous got to live by faith. You got to live by faith. And so you go back to Romans I have to ask myself the question, how would they have interpreted this and how would they have understood this as they're wrestling through this? And I try to put myself in the Roman shoes of how easy it would have been to live by sight instead of by faith. And I look around maybe these, this crew of people that have come together, this church that was born out of a synagogue, and you have Jews and Gentiles that are there and you can just feel the tension. You can feel the frustration. You can feel people are saying, man, I just, I wish this was different. And the Gentiles saying, it was, we had several years that things were so smooth because people could bring what they wanted to potluck. It was going to be okay. If someone brought pork, nobody was going to freak. It was going to be all right. But now the Jews are here and we have this conflict and we've got to back up and we've got to think about how we're going to walk through potluck again. Or when we, we leave our assembly, it was, pretty comfortable for me as, a, as someone who, had, who is a Roman that had come to faith in God when I, all the people left my house looked the same. And now the Jewish leaders are back and you know that my friends do not like Jews. They're terrible. These weird, strange people that tend to just go out and infest everywhere. And now all of a sudden they're back in my house again and it's just embarrassing for me when we're having assembly at my house and my neighbors are saying, what are these Jews doing back? You know, Claudius lets the Jews come back and you let them in your house. What's going on here? You know, or Claudius passes away and so the Jews get to come back. And boy, you're going the extra mile. You get them to come even into your house. Boy, what's, what's going on with you? And the Jews that have come back are, are, have this tension of thinking, man, we've got these Gentiles are doing all sorts of stuff that makes us really uncomfortable I can't maybe put a scripture and verse on saying you shouldn't bring bacon to potluck, but it just, it does not sit well with me. I don't like it. And they wrestle through it. And they read this that Paul writes. It says, the righteous will live by faith. And I can't help but them thinking, or I can't help but they would start to think that they would start thinking, okay, especially as Paul goes down and starts explaining things is my discomfort with my brothers and sisters in Christ because they dress differently or because they have a different accent or they have some, you know, whatever it may be. What I'm doing is I'm living by sight instead of living by faith and seeing this community of God being beautiful as it is and seeing these differences as being opportunities for us to be able to reach out and make an impact with more people. 
I'm being short-sighted. I'm not seeing this right. Or maybe the temptation to live by sight with the Romans would have been to be really proud of who they are and their heritage. I know that walking around Rome in the time that I spent there, there are statues everywhere. Romans are, were conquerors, and we'll talk about that. Paul talks about a few chapters later what it means to be more than conquerors. Okay, But Romans are conquerors. They had a lot to be proud of, and, and you can't help but walk through the city of Rome and see the architecture and see everything that's built there and have your chest swell a little bit and think, man, these people had it together. These people had all this going on. And I imagine it would have been difficult or a temptation for the Roman Christians at times to look around and say, wow, look at my people. Look at what my people have accomplished. Look at this big town. Look at these aqueducts. Look at this architecture. Look at all this. We can really put faith in this. Look at how great we are as a people. And I'm meeting with this crew over here that is multicultural and is kind of strange sometimes, and I'm not sure what to do with that. It would have been easy for the Romans to live by sight the things that they saw around them instead of living by faith. And so for us, think about this. Is it a temptation for us to live by sight instead of by faith? Live by the things that we can touch or the societies that we live in? I think about this. uh, Ask this question. This will be one of the life group questions. Have your Christian brothers ever embarrassed you in some form or fashion? (laughs) I think the answer is yes to all of us. Sometimes it's because somebody is is immature and does something. We think, oh, no, please don't do that. I wish you wouldn't do that kind of thing. Or sometimes we're just different. We see life different. We approach things differently as people because of our family of origin issues or, or, or whatever it may be. But sometimes we may look around and think, huh, maybe there's nobody here that I can really identify with immediately. They're they're different than me. They're I'm I'm a... I, I'm a, a world-class underwater basket weaver, and there are no basket weavers that are part of this church here. And I'm not sure what to do about that. And I use that just kind of as a funny example. But what we're doing there is we're living by sight and saying, what, is, what can I get out of this deal? What is all this about me? That the kingdom of God, by design, by God's design, is a people that we may not have a whole lot of things in common in this world at times, but what we do have in common is that we come and we participate and we become a part of God's kingdom because Jesus raised from the dead and we want to as well. There's a whole, that, that's what it comes down to. And what I've found over time is some of the people that I thought that I had nothing in common with in the church turned out to be some of my greatest friends. Because, um, and I, I use this one just as a, as a funny one, but Chris Ward is a friend of mine. Some of you know him from, from Great Falls. Chris Ward is an engineer to his core. And he's a civil engineer. He's part of the church. They're a very godly, godly family. And Chris and I have found some things in common. But Chris and I, we didn't, we didn't have, it didn't seem, at least from my perspective, maybe his is totally different. Oh, he's not, he doesn't hunt. You know, all the things that I tend to, to do, he doesn't, that's, his interests are different. Uh, when what I appreciate about Chris is when I ask him a question, he's going to come at things from a totally different direction than I ever would in a way that I would never think about because he is so different from me. And we found things in common that we like to ride bikes and that type of thing. But at first glance, if Chris and I stand next to each other, people aren't going to say, good buddies, probably. But it was me looking past and having kids that are the same age and, and all sorts of those type of things that helped me understand, man, this is one of my best buddies on the earth now. 
and because I see what's inside this guy. What's inside this guy is something tremendous, and I learn and I grow whenever I'm around him. Uh, there's a, a temptation maybe for us to live by sight. We look around our world, and I mentioned maybe 10% of this valley is in any church on any given Sunday. Is it's, it's, uh, it's easy to maybe look around in our world and look at the recreation that is there, that there's, there's people, and I have neighbors that are... that to pursue life this way, all of us have friends that pursue life this way, is I'm going to do whatever I want at any given time and I'm going to pursue this. And sometimes I look around and I think, man, I sacrificed my life to, to worship God. All of us are here and we could be out doing all sorts of different things, but we choose to be here to worship God because we believe this is the right thing to do. But I wish, maybe, is it bad to wish that sometimes if... People that aren't here on Sunday morning, all of a sudden there would be a plug that would hit that everybody that's not here, you know, something like that, just so that we can clear this out so that we can see who's God's and who's not. And that, wouldn't that be, you know, I don't know if that'd make, that wouldn't make me feel good, but you see where I'm saying there? Is that why can't there be instant justice for people who do not you know, follow God this particular Sunday morning, okay, that are out, off worshiping creation or, or something else? Okay. Whenever I wish judgment on somebody else, I start thinking, uh-oh, where's it coming? Where's it coming back around? You know, Where's it going to get me? But maybe the important thing for us to, to learn from that is that, like, just like Habakkuk, or God responds to Habakkuk, I'm going to take care of stuff. I'm going to take care of stuff. I know that there's people out there that look like they've got everything together and give no thought to me whatsoever. But what's going on behind the scenes and what's going on inside is totally different. And just have faith. Your job is to live by faith and do what is right no matter what anybody else does. And I think about that. That gives me a lot of courage and a lot of confidence. And Paul is going to spend the next several chapters of this letter talking about the righteous will live by faith and revealing and pulling back some of the presuppositions that we live with as people and building them up to help us see things from a godly perspective and not just what we see with our eyes. And uh, that's my prayer for all of us today, that we can be people, that we make that decision and, and remake that decision every day, that I'm going to be a person that lives by faith because I want to be one that lives by faith day in, day out. If you would like uh, to have prayers of the church or you would like uh, to become a Christian today, you're welcome to come forward. We'll stand and sing together. There's also the elders waiting in the back to pray with you if you'd like to go back and pray with them uh, today as well. Let's sing together.